The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. So hello and welcome to Mad World. This week I'm quite excited to have in the studio sitting opposite me someone I basically adored when I was a teenager and I'm just totally going to fangirl you now. Mel C everyone, Mel C. I remember I remember when Wannabe came out and I was 15, 16 and it was like a real kind of, well, hang on, because before all the big bands had been boy bands, mm. like take that and you could sit on the block. And to have these women sort of empowering. But anyway, we're not going to talk about the Spice Girls, we're going to talk about you. Well, we could talk about both. We can talk about everything. I'm, I'm part of that, it's all part of you me. Are, you are a Spice Girl till you die. Absolutely, 100%. The first question we ask on this yeah. programme is, how are you? You know, we say, how are yeah. you, every day, and Absolutely. we go, oh, fine, thanks. I want to know, how are you really right now, man? I've taken my honesty tablets. I've taken your honesty and, tablets? Yeah. I actually feel a bit, meh. I feel a bit better since I've come in and we've had a chat and it's all, you know, it's all nice, isn't it? And exciting and we're going to chat about loads of really interesting things, hopefully. Yeah. But I'm feeling a bit Monday. It's a Monday today when we're recording and yeah. I, fe- I feel a bit Monday, a bit, mm, a bit fed up. My cleaner's called in sick. That's oh, annoying. That's, that's the flat's a mess. It's a Monday. You live in a flat? You know what I mean? Well, I call it a flat. It's an apartment. What do you I call it? Say, you live, <laughs> surely you live in a castle. <laughs> well, I live, My... in, I live in Hampstead. I live in London. I live in a flat. It's a I nice get, flat. I, I'm sure it's very nice. <laughs> so you're feeling met. I'm feeling a bit met. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're here. Yeah. Like, I was really excited about yeah. it. I ran to work and I was like, going to run to work and get myself going because I get my blood pumping. And I'm, I've been a bit nervous about meeting you and all. But, like, this is cool. So we're both being a bit met. Yeah. So let's, totally. let's unmet Just, ourselves. Yeah, let's unmet. So I went to the gym this morning and exercise is a really important part of my life. In many ways, I've always been dead active since I was a kid. Mm. Loads of sport, you know, my gymnastics and athletics, and I danced as well from the age of eight up until the age of 19. So I've always been really physical. Apparently, you danced after the age of 19 as well. <laughs> Do you mean you call that dancing? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, you were doing well, like backflips and stuff. Proper dancing. I trained as a dancer. I did ballet. You did ballet? I did lots of ballet, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so I wanted to be a dancer at one point. Yeah, the physical thing, I didn't realise until I was diagnosed with depression in 2000, I didn't realise how important that was, not only to me physically, but to me mentally and emotionally. So it's something I do most days. Mm-hmm. If I have like a week where I only, I can only train like three times, that's kind of not enough for me. I, I'd rather, even if I've got 20 minutes, I'd rather just squeeze something in at least, you know, four or five times a week. And what do you do? I do a bit of everything. This is something where, as I've got older, I've got a bit more relaxed about it. And my reasons for doing exercise have changed as well. You wrote a brilliant piece for Love magazine, which I read. And just to people that who may not have, we can maybe put the link on the website and stuff. It was an essay, really, wasn't Mm. it? About sort of your relationship with fame. And how old were you when the Spice Girls got really big? Um, 96, I was 22. So you've basically been famous for the most of your life and mm. there's a quote someone told me and I can't remember who but it's like someone said to me that you kind of if you get really famous you stay at the age you get really famous because then it's like <laughs> no because then everyone's doing stuff you know you can't you don't live yeah. in a normal world and but you strike me as being kind of quite down to earth and you're sitting here she's got no she's taken her shoes off everyone <laughs> she means business I kind of want to take my shoes on too take off. Off. everyone everyone listening take Let's off your comfy. shoes unless you're on the tube <laughs> listening to on your commute, then don't. Look, did you hear that? My shoes are off. Right, we mean business here now. 
So you said that you got diagnosed with depression in the year 2000. Mm-hmm. So that was, what, four years after... My maths is my maths. My is maths is terrible. Uh, so four years after the craziness began, yeah. yeah. What happened? I think it was a bit of an environmental thing. It wasn't anything that I'd thought about through my childhood and growing up and like my teens. But I suppose what happened with the Spice Girls? It's something that completely turned your world upside down, mm. and it was a fantasy. It was a fairy tale. It was something that I'd always wanted, you know, as long as I'd remembered from the age of about eight years old, I wanted to dance and I wanted to sing and I wanted to be famous. I wanted to be a performer. And ridiculously, that thing happened in an enormous way. And I think when you're young and you have these dreams and aspirations, you don't really think of the negatives. Mm -hmm. And Everything has a negative. What happened to us was incredible, and I'm grateful every day. It has enabled me to go on and have an incredible career and a wonderful life, and I've had so many great experiences. And you can afford a flat in London. I can afford a flat (laughs) in London. In Hampstead. Near the Tube, and I get the Tube as well. It's different now, you know, because I think there's so much more pressure on young people now because of things like social media Mm -hmm. and just generally how culture has become. But when the Spice Girls started no one or hardly anyone had computers maybe a zx spectrum yeah you had to play a bit of sonic the hedgehog or something to the shop and buy a newspaper to find out what was happening in the world what i used to do which is was just popped into my head which is kind of along the lines of what you know what we're starting to talk about is i'd go to the gym i'd be there waiting for the gym to open i lived in finchley at the time and the first thing i'd do is go to the little news kiosk and i'd scour all the, the tabloids for what they were saying about Spice Girls today because basically something was written about us or at least one of us every single day and actually that hasn't really stopped mm. but you know now I just switch on my Google. phone and I go through yeah Google go through Twitter or but yeah I think that's one of the big life changes is you start to read people's opinions of you mm. and in normal life we just talk behind each other's backs or mm-hmm. we used to now we just put it all over Twitter yeah. and tell each other how awful we are and how terrible our hair is and yeah. how you shouldn't have worn that dress and how you can't sing yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> thanks for that thanks for that cheers thanks. And, and I'd like to hear you sing that's yeah. what I think yeah. you should say go on you and do let a me little... see your hair yeah. all you need is positivity <laughs> <laughs> you're a really great singer <laughs> do, I, do I call you Mel or Melanie you can call me whatever you want um, babes sporty sporty um even though we didn't have that kind of... You were still in a goldfish bowl, really. Yeah. There wasn't Twitter, there wasn't Instagram. Mm-hmm. But in a way, in a funny kind of way, Twitter and Instagram, I think, enables people to sort of take back a bit of control over how they're perceived in the media. Because now, you know, you do get pap shots still. But mm-hmm. also a lot of the stuff that you see in the papers or on the on other mm-hmm. websites, mm-hmm. they're Instagram shots. So they're kind of creating the content, which obviously is in itself kind of weirdly harmful. But you had no control. No over. control. I think the great thing about Twitter is you do have a voice yeah. and you do have a direct line to your fans or to your critics or however you choose to use it. I think it can be a powerful tool. But it's so time-consuming, isn't it? <laughs> it's like all of these distractions in life. I mean, what did we used to do before our phones? We yeah. just had loads of time on our hands. We danced to Spice Girl songs. Yeah, and we used pay phones. Do you remember pay phones? I had a pager once. Did you ever have a pager? I had a pager! Yeah. I had a pager in the early days of the Spice Girls, and it took them ages to convince me to get a phone. Because I don't really like speaking on the phone anyway. Okay. So I, I was the pager girl. Have you yeah. just got rid of your pager? I just got rid of it last week. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I'm like most of us. I'm 
completely addicted. I mean, you're never alone, are you? Remember when you used to go like to a pub or to a coffee shop or something and you'd wait for your friend? You're just never alone anymore, are you? You've got the world at your fingertips. But back to that, so when you were 26 or... 22 when wannabe hit. And then, but when you got diagnosed with depression, what led up to that? Can you remember? Or have you kind of blocked it out? No, you know, I think it was quite a, a, a gradual thing that happened because you know I had my time with the girls we got together in 1994 and there was a lot of pressure um at first it was just internally you know within the band because we were all really ambitious and mm-hmm. we all shared a vision and it was incredible and and that I put down a lot of our success to that because we knew what we wanted and we went out and we did it of course we worked very hard a lot of luck was involved incredible people within the industry were involved but we knew what we wanted mm-hmm. and we were going to make it happen and we did so that was hard because we put a lot of pressure on each other and on ourselves because we didn't want to mess this thing up so that was kind of the beginnings and was that bitchiness you know you know what I don't want to I don't want to say bitchiness and and it's not exclusive we've talked about it there was a bit of bullying I believe there's different personalities within the band I'm never going to start naming names but you know there's a dynamic within any group of friends or Mm. colleagues and we were striving for something and we were working really hard and it got to a point where there was a lot to lose and yeah it was really tough at times it was I love the girls dearly you know I care for them deeply I always will sometimes I fall out with some of them and we always make up again because you'll never take away what we went through and no one else went through it our family were close to us, the people we worked with were there, but they didn't go through it like we did. So, you know, that's an unbreakable bond. But yeah, it was really hard. And then, of course, you have the external pressures. And then I think probably more the pressure I put myself under. I am a failed perfectionist, like a lot of performers, mm. I think. And I also guilt. It kind of felt at times like I didn't deserve it. I wasn't good enough. And so that all ended up in me not eating properly. And exercising obsessively because I thought I had to be a certain you way to be deserving spice. of yeah everything that was happening to so me. You couldn't have a curry. Well, I d- you know I didn't even really. Uh, it didn't correlate with the whole sporty thing. It was more that to be a pop star I had to be perfect, and that was my way of trying to achieve perfection. You've spoken about bulimia. You know I was never bulimic. Okay. This is something which is you know obviously so many things are written over the years and it's a bit like Chinese whispers okay. and whether it matters but it does you know anybody who's had eating disorders they're quite different things. Yeah. I had binge eating disorder. Okay. But like bulimia but you don't you didn't puke. Throw it up. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me what it was like. It was your way of controlling what was going on in your life. Yeah, I think so. You know, I think that there are lots of different things. I think a lot of it obviously was vanity. It was the way I looked. I was being photographed a lot. I was reading, you know, what people thought of me. And, and one of the things that always stuck in my head, which I really don't care about anymore, but I did when I was a kid, was they said that I was the, the plain one at the back that didn't really do anything. I think when you're in your 20s and you're trying to figure things out and you're a little bit... Lacking confidence anyway, reading something like that can can really hurt. You're beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, you really are. And you and also you've got a real voice on you, do you know what I mean? Anyway, let's not comparison is the thief of joy. Yes. Well yeah, you know, well it's a funny thing, isn't it? People ask me all these questions about my experiences and what I've been through and I, of course I've gone through different things to lots of other people, but I think it's just like a general journey that I you know, I don't want to generalise and say women, but I think 
a lot of women go through this. I think in your 20s, you're like, who am I? Mm-hmm. Who do I want to be? Who should I be? Who do people expect me to be? Mm-hmm. You know, you're influenced by the people around you. We're influenced by fashion and culture and everything. And I, and I think you're just, you're feeling your way, aren't you? And then in my 30s, I was like, yeah, I got this first. Yeah. And then something happened to me. I, I had a, a big breakup and I split up with my little girl's father. It, it just life goes on, See. doesn't it? And now I'm in my 40s, I'm like finally it's like no I haven't got anything sussed but I kind of don't care it's fine yeah. and it's I'm never going to get it sorted there's always going to be pressures and there's always going to be difficulties to overcome but it's all right and I can do it I think that's really interesting because actually people always say to me oh have you sorted yourself out and I'm like <laughs> <laughs> yeah work in progress yeah and I think that's the important thing to say is that mm. you're not ever going to cure yourself of all these issues but just to say they're going to be part of your life and yeah. like let's work out how we deal with them it's yeah. fine because there's going to be ups and there's going to be downs and there's going to be yeah can we talk a bit about the binge eating I find it fascinating because I mm. I was bulimic for about 10 years for me it was like getting out of my head in food like the binge is that what it was for you absolutely yeah I I think I'd never starved myself but I wasn't eating properly and I was exercising obsessively and all of my time with the Spice Girls I think I was probably living on adrenaline God only knows how I got through it and I think my body just got to the point when it was like enough and it needed you know it needed food it needed to be taken care of I had to do that but I did get yet caught up in that thing of and and it's carbohydrates a lot as well I think Mm. it's something to do with they almost have a bit of a sedative effect don't they and with depression you know one of the symptoms that I had was I couldn't sleep and I'd go downstairs and I'd eat whatever I could find boxes of cereal loaves of bread whatever it was that would kind of just put me into a coma and yeah and then of course you get into that cycle of like beating yourself up about it and feeling really guilty mm-hmm. and I was really ashamed as well I mean even when because before I was you know I had binge eating disorder I had an eating disorder of sorts you know I, I don't even know what you call it I suppose I was anorexic I, mm-hmm. you know I was eating but I wasn't eating all of the food groups and I was always so embarrassed about it mm. um, but you can't socialize can you and it's and I get really upset when I think about young people and, and the pressures that they're under and the things that they deal with because I think it's such a waste. It's mm. such a waste of time. It's such a waste of youth. And and food is such an important part of our lives. It's nurturing. It's, it's sociable. It's Medicine. You know, yeah, absolutely. And it's hard. If it's an issue for you, it's kind of your every second thought yeah. is about food. Yeah. And also the thing is like when I think people, when they talk about when they give up alcohol and they go to AA or drugs you know obviously it's really yeah. hard I'm not yeah. like underestimating it and we live in a culture that's soaked in booze but you can sort of you can, you, can, you can avoid the people that you used to take the drugs with yeah. and get smashed with yeah. um, and you can say no I'm not going to go to the pub but you have to eat yeah I mean it's some, so it is this kind of constant thing you sit and you think and you think and you think and you think I about I lie in bed and that would that would be my little thing going to bed like what had I eaten in the day and it's like God. so what were you what weren't you eating what were you what well was, I kind of didn't eat carbs, didn't eat protein. I was for a few years. I think I was living on fruit and vegetables. I was like okay. terrified of fat. I was terrified. You know, it was. So you were functioning anorexic. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, how did I? I do not know how my body coped. It's amazing, kind of opening up about this. It's really cool. It's not cool, obviously, that you went through that, but it's really important that you talk about it because I get obsessed with how many likes an Instagram picture gets. You know, yeah. and how do we teach our daughters? How do we teach the generate next generation not? 
to go th- not to have to go through this yeah I think it's really important I think we've got a huge responsibility and it is super difficult because you know we have our experience of social media but for our kids it's a completely different thing and I have days where it really hurts and it really affects me but you know most days I'm like oh start off Whatever. They don't know. You know they don't know you really. Yeah, 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 exactly. But going through all those things you go through as a teen, sometimes it's their friends at school. I mean, it's it's really difficult. I think we do have a responsibility to our children to really guide them through. Do you kind of have like rules about sort of? They can't be on social media at that age, can they? But Thank goodness. I'm like, oh, she's eight, right? So she's <laughs> way too young. Even though she wants to be on Snapchat and she wants to be on Instagram no way you know and some of the friends are which makes it more difficult but absolutely there's no way and I'm so glad that she is too young right now but it won't be long it really won't be long Mm. so yeah so you had that experience when you were when you were in your 20s how then did you kind of try and help yourself and obviously this is about you not me but I found you know I knew I had problems in my 20s but it was kind of people go I'll go and see this therapist or take this antidepressant but Mm. I still hadn't got a handle on it what were you sort of doing well I was so concerned and obsessed with the eating side of things Mm -hmm. that I had no clue that I was depressed Mm -hmm. and I had one it was actually it was a millennium and I was away with my family and I just was struggling to get out of bed and I was I was binging a lot and I was sneaking off to binge and I was crying a lot literally my thoughts were I'm losing it Mm -hmm. I'm going mad I, I cannot cope so when I got home I went to my GP and for the first time ever I said out loud what was going on with me Mm -hmm. and he said okay well the first thing we need to address is your depression and this huge weight was lifted from my Mm. shoulders I feel a little bit upset talking if I was actually Mm. Um, and it, it just I felt so relieved because I just thought oh my god it's got a name it's something I can be helped you know it was such a relief to me and from that moment, I set on my little journey mm-hmm. of getting better. And it took years. It took a really long time. And and I took antidepressants. I think for about 18 months, I had mm-hmm. talking therapies. I was a pop star. I tried everything. And I think you have to find what works for you. And I was really lucky to be introduced to a five-element acupuncturist, who I still see today. And he's incredible. And he said to me at one point, look... It's taken you a long time to get yourself into this mess. Mm-hmm. It's going to take you just as long to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And he was so right. And it was a gradual thing. And every so often I'd think, oh, my gosh, I've had a good day today. And then the days would become two days. And then the bad mm-hmm. days would get further apart. And, and then I'd have a setback. And it was just baby steps sometimes. Yeah. But I, I call it my toolkit because I... Oh, gosh, it took a long time to get ready to get ready to get better, and I think the thing with depression is it's really scary. You don't want to be arrogant enough to think ah, I'm over it. Mm. I'll never be depressed again. But I kind of thought, well, Spice Girls was a bit crazy, mm-hmm. and I got really sick, and now I'm better, and it's not really part of my personality to be that way. So mm. I think I want to be okay. Mm. But, you know, there was always that little element of fear. And then I was pregnant with my little girl in 2008. And, of course, reading everything and how you're more susceptible to postnatal depression. Mm -hmm. I was a bit nervous about that. But I didn't get it. I was cool. I mean, having my little girl was another step further on Mm -hmm. the road to recovery for me, Mm -hmm. actually. But I I did have... I had another bit of a relapse a couple of years ago, which I've never spoken about. And I I never went back to kind of the depths of where I was in 2000. I mean, I I, I was struggling. I had anxiety as well, and I was struggling to even leave the house 
in those times. But yeah, depression reared its ugly head a couple of years ago. So that was when you broke up with... Well, I call it post-traumatic because when I split from my little girl's dad, I actually felt really great because I knew it was the right thing to do for Mm -hmm. everybody involved. Mm -hmm. It was one of those situations in life where... It's hideous. Of course we want to be with the father of our child. I hadn't mentally prepared for the future without Mm. her dad. We just have these little forecasts of how life's going to be in the next 10, 20, 30 years, don't we? And and that wasn't the future I'd planned, but it was the one that that had to be. So I was very proud of myself that Mm. I'd made that very difficult decision. And it wasn't until maybe about a year after that that I started to, yeah, to think, "Uh uh-oh, I recognise this feeling. This cloud doesn't seem Mm. to be shifting. And then it was back. Cloud in your sky. Yeah. How long did that period episode I'm like, I kind of want to come and give you a hug I oh, do you oh. Oh, don't, don't hug me because that made me cry more. Oh, depression is such a oh it's such a beast it's so horrible and it's it feels so horrible. endless it's so horrible and it's like I have this you know you have a relationship with your depression don't you and I think I know how to look after myself you know I know I need to rest I need to sleep I need to not drink too much mm-hmm. I need to eat well I need to exercise regularly but not too much but sometimes you do all the right things but it doesn't matter Mm. and I live like everyone you live with your depression but sometimes it controls you Mm -hmm. and that's when it's really hard because you feel at times helpless also I I guess when you've got a little one the added layer of because I mean we're not parents aren't short on guilt anyway as it mm. is right yeah it comes to the territory yeah uh, <laughs> I think that one when you get depressed and you have a child you kind of feel like oh my god I because it is as you said there's the kind of narrative you you have it you fall, you fall in love you have a child blah, 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 yeah. and then you live happily ever after conditioned, how we're conditioned how it's supposed to be and then it's like oh no I'm still a bit of a fuck up mm-hmm. <laughs> but of course motherhood doesn't do for people what rehab or intense therapy does for other people mm-hmm. And it's kind of guilt. And yeah, you know, motherhood is an incredible thing and, and I feel like I'm a better person for having my little girl in my life. She makes me a better person mm-hmm. and she made me take responsibility for myself more because I thought, I've got to teach her. You can't have people treating me like that because she's going to see that and I don't want people treating her like that. Mm. You know, I'm trying to lead by example, um, which is hard, but it's actually really empowering. One of the things I love about parenthood is... In your life, sometimes you wouldn't dare do something, but you'll do it for your kid. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like push somebody out of the way to yeah. get them that yeah. that dress from you know yeah. the latest Disney movie, like a lioness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, we've all been there. Yeah, so I mean that's a pretty incredible thing, but you know, along with that comes a lot of responsibility. Have you pushed someone out of the way to get? Uh, a Disney dress. <laughs> um, you know, she's a bit too old for that now. I remember I, I did that thing where you, I remember when Stella McCartney did a collection for Gap Kids, mm-hmm. and I found myself queuing at really? eight a.m. Yeah, because I wanted that jacket. <laughs> I, did, I think that was I. I <laughs> I can't believe you queue. You take you take the tube. You live in a flat and you and you queue outside, outside gap, gap kids. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. You're my kind of girl. <laughs> so what? So how long did that period go on for? And did you did you go back on antidepressants? Did you? Mm. I did actually. I um I went back on antidepressants. I think it was how long was it for? I don't think it was quite a year. But yeah, I just felt like because I I don't like to take medication. Full stop. Mm. You know, even if I'm not well, I don't really want to take um, antibiotics. So. I tried to do things naturally and every now and again you just go, you know what, I 
think I need some help. I can't I can't do this on my own. And it was one of those times. So yeah, it it was quite short lived and yeah, I I got to a point where I was taking like the highest dose that you could take of this particular antidepressant and I was actually seeing a I see a psychotherapist now, but I was seeing a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. So it was guns. all it was all very medical and all very yeah, yeah professory and stuff. And I was spending a fortune on trying to get better and I was taking loads of medication and I felt, eh, mm-hmm. I felt all right, I didn't feel great. And I just thought, well, if I feel like this and I'm pumping myself full of crap, I may as well just see how I am. And started weaning off, which of course, you know, we should talk about, it's very, very important if you are going to come off antidepressants. You wean, have to wean don't. and you have to do it with your GP's guidance and supervision. And, you know, I'm in a very privileged position. I have an f- incredible GP. GPs and the NHS, super stretched. And I think lots of people with mental health issues aren't taken care of. No, I think you're absolutely right. As well as they need to be. I'm not saying that's a fault of doctors. They're doing an incredible thing with, you know, very poor resources at times. Um, but I would just say to people, how many people do you hear? And they go, I just stopped taking them. Oh, my God. I say, oh, my God, why did you do that? It's complete madness. It was actual madness. I remember I stopped taking my antidepressants when I got pregnant because I thought, oh, well, that's mm. And it was like, if you've forgotten to take them for a couple of days, you start to notice the sort of brain zaps. Did you ever, you know? Yeah. Also, you sw- when you're switching d- the doses, you know, you feel really weird yeah. for a while. And, yeah. and it is messing with and your... And, you know, the other thing is with, with medication, there's lots of different types. I know people that have kind of, you know, they've tried whatever particular drug it might be and, and they just don't get on with it or their side effects are awful, you feel nauseous, whatever. I think first time round, it took me about three... I had to try three different types before I found one that worked for Which me. It takes a long time. It takes a long time because it takes a few weeks for it to kick in. And, and then you have to wean yourself off that one, yeah, start on the other one. It's like, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a minefield. Personally, for me, I avoid them as much as I can, but there have been times in my life when I've just thought, yeah, I need extra help. Yeah, I take them every day. So, yeah, well, yeah, I have friends who absolutely swear by them and have been on them for many years. We shouldn't be scared of them, should we? No, absolutely not. You know what? It's like I mentioned earlier about acupuncture. You have to find what works for you. Mm. And everyone's different. So what does work for you? Five Was it five-element acupuncture? Yeah. What is that? Yeah. Okay, well, there's TCM is traditional Chinese medicine, okay. which is, I think, probably the most widespread acupuncture that you find. But five-element, it works on you holistically, so you don't really go for a sore back or to cure know their cups it's really about whether you're out of balance here there's a block there and you know the, the guy that I see Jared Kite he's incredible he's, he's written a couple of books actually he talks to you so half of your session is talking which I would say is probably the best thing to do yeah. for depression isn't yeah. it and another thing thinking about this I spend a lot of time thinking about these things when I was depressed and when I was suffering with my eating disorders, I was so embarrassed and I was so isolated. Mm. I think you really can withdraw from society and you mm. don't want to socialise and all of these things, but human beings need contact. Mm. And I remember reading somewhere that someone said, oh, you know, if, if you're depressed, book a massage. Even Because I was single at the time as well, so I didn't have a partner. I didn't kind of have someone to, you, you know, to human talk touch. to. You need human touch. So even if it's a complete stranger, but you go. And, and I just think this for everybody and anybody is we don't look after ourselves enough Mm. and we don't appreciate ourselves enough. I think the dialogue in most women's heads is I'm not thin enough, I'm not earning enough money at work, I'm not, my career isn't where it should be, I'm not a good enough mother. All we ever do is put ourselves down and it's, 
and we're amazing. Mm. And there's, there's been times in my life when I've thought, oh my God, I am amazing. But then you feel embarrassed for giving yourself praise. And it's yeah. ridiculous. It's like, come on, we need to praise ourselves. It's like, if you've had a child, you're amazing. Your body has done something yeah. incredible. If you've managed to get that child, you know, like my little girl's eight, and I didn't break her when yeah, she yeah. was a baby. She's okay. <laughs> She's okay. You know, I'm sure she'll have her issues from mummy being a Spice Girl. But I'm doing it all right. And we're brilliant. I remember I had a really bad injury. I ruptured my cruciate ligament. I did this show called The Games in 2003. And I'd never had a major physical injury and I couldn't walk it took me it took me two years to get back to full fitness but I couldn't walk for a few months and that was the first time I'd beaten my body up all my life I you know I wasn't strong enough I wasn't thin enough I wasn't I wasn't a good enough dancer all of these things and when I lost the use of my leg the other leg I was like I love you so much I'm so grateful of you like and I'm so sorry and I felt really sorry to my body for everything I put it through I think it's really interesting that switch where you go yeah oh God, I spent my whole time yeah being just, horrible to you destroying it you treat yourself you wouldn't treat your enemy the way you treat yourself <laughs> in your head this it's is crazy thing. sometimes I think of the things I say to myself in my head and go if you if a friend of yours was telling you that you mm. would no longer be their friend anymore Absolutely. and yet you have this constant yeah I mean it's really interesting because you look at the Spice Girls and your success and you just think oh life's you know their lives must be completely perfect and we all have this stuff everybody this is the thing and again I don't know with age you come to realise don't you nobody's life's perfect no and it, we look at Facebook and Instagram and wow look at her on that holiday and look at her amazing look at the gap between the thighs oh my god look at that look at her flawless skin it's all nonsense it's totally not thigh gap no can we talk flawed. about thigh gap I ran to work this morning in shorts for the first time <laughs> and can I tell do you something a bit of chafing do not run to work in shorts if your thigh gap is <laughs> Is not non-existent. There is no gap oh, betwixt my thighs. You know the the one thing. It was so funny. I was with a friend of mine, and she's. I love her dearly, but she puts herself down constantly. And we were away together, and we went to um, a theme park. It was like a Universal theme park or something with my little girl. And she was like, "Oh, I'm so embarrassed, but I like my, my legs are killing me because I've got, like, got friction." I'm like, "Oh, mine too." And she couldn't believe it. <laughs> It's like you get cha- yeah, chafing, sweaty chafing between the thighs. We all get it. I also have like I'm actually going to flash you. <laughs> like I have some incredible boob chafing <laughs> from doing the marathon. Well, which I is never going away. Yeah, I I don't have boob problems. No, but you don't. Which is a problem. <laughs> it's not a problem <laughs> in itself. It's not the grass is always greener. <laughs> exactly. But like, but that now instead of being so like I flash them at people, they're like my battle scars. <laughs> like look, I don't know if I mentioned I did a marathon. <laughs> But the ch- so yeah, so the model of that story is you did a marathon. Yeah, yeah, that's I, amazing. I don't know if I mentioned that. Yet. Yeah, it's like Vaseline is your friend. I yeah. Think. What would your advice? So talking to you, it's almost you feel like fame. It's almost like a mental health issue in itself. Do you mm, know what I mean? Like totally. Kind of people's desire to, I don't know. If we look at the Kardashians and all, you know, in this kind of fame for fame's sake. I mean, you at least had some, have some talent and can sing the hell out of a song. You know. There's a whole breed of celebrities who are famous for being them. Well, this is this is what baffles me completely because, you know, okay, when I was a kid, I wanted to be Madonna. I wanted to be famous. I wanted everyone to know me. I wanted to send autographs. I wanted to have security, fly on private jets. Who doesn't? But 
I love what I do. I have a passion. Mm. And, you know, I get up on stage and I sing and I it just, it fills me with joy. And without it in my life, I feel like something's missing. And I know I'm not perfect and I strive to be better and I will continue to do that as long as people allow me to. But for someone, you know, fame, actually, once I'd experienced it, I was like, oh, that's the, that's the annoying bit. Yeah, you, you know, don't want that. Not being able to go from A to B without being stopped 12 times. I mean, people are lovely, don't get me wrong. I've never had a bad experience. But sometimes it's kind of irritating when you're just trying to do a bit of shopping yeah. or you're down the pub with your mates and yeah. everyone wants a selfie. That's the annoying bit. But if there's like nothing at the end of it, to stand on stage and to sing a song and to get that reaction from an audience mm. without that, what's the point? Yeah. It's weird. I think it's an unhealthy thing to to want i think lots of people who want to be famous i think that's really an interesting thing to explore why do you want to be famous why yeah you know because lots of people don't lots of people it is the worst thing that could happen to them they'd hate it so talking about your love of singing do you is that something you do to kind of help yourself feel better like if you don't do it for a while do you kind of get a bit kind yeah. of anxious it, well it's it's funny you know because you know over the years I've worked with so many different people in so many areas of entertainment and there are some people who sing a lot aren't there they mm-hmm. just kind of go about their business singing a lot and I'm not one of those people I kind of just sing when I'm singing <laughs> oh, I, saw, I was hoping we could have a sing-along <laughs> we can have a sing-along that's cool but I, I, I don't really I mean I sing with my little girl but I think maybe I take it a bit too seriously. I have to warm up. <laughs> I have to be in front of an audience of at least 12 people. <laughs> no, but I, yeah, I'm not really a sing, a singery singer kind of person. I just, I suppose I'm not an attention seeker, but I do like to have an audience mm-hmm. if I'm singing. Connecting. Yeah. Well, it strikes me that kind of out of all of the Spice Girls, you have sort of done the best job of sort of keeping away from that the media attention uh, but it's like you sort of have kept quite grounded and obviously I feel sorry for people like Victoria and Melanie B well it's, it's almost of... it's it's a little bit of a prison sentence I think isn't mm. it it becomes but you know all of us girls when we met we were all very different personalities and I would say through everything that's happened to each and every one of us no one's really changed that much mm-hmm. so even before we had released anything or anybody knew anything about any of us. You know, we were these people and, you know, Jerry's always been pretty kooky and Emma's always been a real homegirl. And it's kind of just, I think these things become maybe magnified mm-hmm. and we did become caricatures of ourselves. And like everything in life, people want different things in different ways. And I learned quite quickly when we got that press attention that I didn't really like it. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of made that decision to to shy away from it a little bit. Whether that's your decision to make, I don't know. I don't think I'm very interesting and I'm not putting myself down, but I think at the time I probably wasn't the most interesting Spice Girl. You know, there was much more interesting things going on within Spice World, which did me a favour because I was quite happy to take a back seat when it came to the tabloid media. You've already written about this, and this is very boring, but you're not getting back for the next... Re- is there going to be another reunion? I don't know. It's kind of... It's open. It's open-ended. I decided to not go back for the 20th anniversary of Wannabe last year because I didn't... You know, people have heard me say this and read, read me saying this. I just didn't think we'd be doing it justice after the Olympics, which was incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, it was all five of us. We did reunite in 2007. It was all five of us. I never thought that would happen. But then I was—I had a few meetings with Mel, and 
Emma and Jerry and at times it seemed like an exciting thing to do and, and then I just thought, you know what, it's just not good enough. When it was all five of us and it, I, I, it just didn't feel right. Okay. But so now you've, you've had an album out called Version of Me and you're yeah. on tour at the moment. Yeah. You've got the festivals coming Festival up. Festival season's coming. I'm doing Isle of Wight. I've got loads of European stuff. I'm going off to Brazil next month. Mm. So, yeah, it's busy, busy times. And it's brilliant. I feel more excited now about my career than I have in quite a while. And I think at 43... You after are not 21, 43. 43. 43 years young. And after 21 years in the music industry, I feel really lucky that I feel so excited. Almost like you've got all the best bits now. Yeah. I think when you're young, I was saying this the other day, when you're young, you don't really think about the future. I didn't think about the future. I was very much in the present. And now I'm older, I'm really excited about the future. What does the future hold? Who knows? Let's find out. You've got a new partner. I've got a new dude. Well, he's new. It's like three years. <laughs> and, and we're super happy. I'm in a like really solid relationship. He's such a great support to me. You know, I spent a lot of my time single, a lot of my time in a relationship where I wasn't very happy. So this is all new. So I'm sure that's part of it too. Um, my new album is quite different. I've made an electronic album, which I've always wanted to do. So I feel like I'm, I've started a new chapter. It's all very exciting and I'm just going to go for it. I, I think I spent a lot of time being embarrassed about being ambitious mm-hmm. after the Spice Girls happened. I felt like it was something to be ashamed of and I'm not ashamed anymore. I've kind of i been trying to recapture my, my 20-something self or, or even in my late teens when I was probably quite obnoxious because <laughs> I was very ambitious and determined, but it was pure and it was me. So I think we all need to find the essence of who we are and who we were before everyone else messed it up. <laughs> it's true before we are we allowed them to yeah we're responsible yeah. for ourselves just I kind of want to sort of end on the how did you obviously you're better now yeah absolutely what were the things so if anyone's listening right now yeah. and they have gone through the same thing and that mm-hmm. might not be that they've become a, a huge pop star who sold a billion trillion records but you know at the heart of this and what's really nice about this Melanie is that it's kind of me and you in a room and it's like it doesn't matter what you are or who you are or mm-hmm. how rich you are or how poor you are or whatever you, we all go through the same shit basically so anyone who's listening right now who is struggling with bulimia or binge eating or anorexia and who food is completely dominating their lives what would you say to that person how did you manage to kind of draw yourself out of that place I think you need external help I felt that I did and you know I'm sure people in that position will be feeling like I felt embarrassed. You don't want to tell people. You worry what people are going to think of you. And, you know, I think it's bizarre, isn't it? Because a lot of food issues are about control. But when you have a food issue, it's kind of being... You are out of control, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you're ashamed yeah. of being out of control as well. I would say share it. I would say there are some wonderful charities and people you can talk to, maybe online forums where you can share stories with people definitely reach out and I would say have faith and and you can do it and I think some people something that they battle with all of their lives sadly but personally for me as I got older I can't be bothered Mm. and it's such a relief because sometimes I want to lose a few pounds but I can't be bothered Mm. and for me that's so refreshing because it used to be the first thing right at the front of my mind that I had to lose weight or maintain my weight or Mm -hmm. not put on weight and now I can't be bothered 
all in all, we just need to be kinder. Yeah, kind to ourselves. Yes. And life's about living. Yes. And, you know, we all And muck sharing. Up. And it's dead short. Before you know it, it's mm. over. I kind of want to come and give you another one. <laughs> I'm all right now. I've collected myself. Oh, well, no, I'm now a mess. <laughs> um, thank you so much. Because I know Pleasure. this will mean a lot to a lot of young women listening to it. And, older, and you know, all of us who have ever struggled with eating issues. You know, um, something I want to say is I get asked about this a lot. When you're in the public eye and you talk about something like this, you do get asked about it. And when I was young and I first started talking about depression, I actually really regretted it because I spent a lot of my time after that in interviews being asked about it by journalists who I felt they were writing for quite inappropriate publications, Mm -hmm. whether it be a tabloid newspaper or a gossip magazine or something. And it's not often I feel really comfortable talking about this as honestly and as candidly as Mm -hmm. I can. This is a place I wanted to do it. And now, again, talking about being a bit older, I have no regrets about talking about it. I used to find sitting in a hotel room doing a promo day of 12 <laughs> interviews talking about depression really flipping depressing, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and <laughs> I, I go, imagine. why did I do and that to myself? And people that are just thinking, I just want to get a line. I just need to get a totally. top line. Oh, my God, story. you wouldn't believe. I mean, you would because you work in this industry, but some of the things that people have asked me... Like what? Is shock- I had an interview with someone, and I won't name the journalist or the newspaper but it was a British tabloid and we were talking and I and I am candid as candid as I can be in whatever interview as appropriate as I feel is right for that particular yeah, thing yeah. someone asked me about abuse and I thought I'm opening up to you about things which are really I feel very sensitive about but I just thought that was extremely inappropriate well they asked if you had if I had been abused <laughs> I mean, I don't want to ask you, so I'm not going to go there. I mean, I'm assuming... So I just kind of thought that was slightly off limits. Yeah, that's not... I mean, that isn't like a great icebreaker, I'm <laughs> going to say. Not, is it? I think, how, you feel I think how are you is good. I, What's your favourite colour? That was the most <laughs> shocked I've ever been in an interview for. Oh, so my so my eating disorders and depression isn't enough for you. <laughs> but also, it's like, also that thing that obviously eating disorders and depression, well, they, they all, all these things, they have to be caused by abuse or they have to be caused by some terrible event. And Shocking. actually, it's like, no, sometimes we just get these illnesses just as some people just get physical illnesses. Because life's so flipping hard I know but I think the the other thing is it's how these things are asked I think because people feel a bit self-conscious about asking them sometimes they kind of just blurt it out so were you abused (laughs) (laughs) I I think I've only abused myself as most of us have and just, um, just so uh, journalistically, we have that <laughs> have that on the record. No, but I mean, obviously, these these are serious things. But there's a time and a place for them. And I think what's been really good, and actually, you're the last in this season of this podcast. And hopefully, we're going to get another one. What's been really nice is to have people in this room talking really openly in a way that you wouldn't expect. And what I feel really proud of is that. And when you said that, I got a bit teary because I think we can do real good as journalists and this to me is doing good and the feedback we've had from all the previous guests and it's really levelling to get someone in a room I'm describing this room this room is not glamorous is it Mel? It's Well I, I've been in worse <laughs> but I've been in better It's like a padded cell I mean we've really gone, out, we've gone all out today that feels to me like a good way to uh, you know thank you thank you for coming on and thank you for opening and sharing because it is a um, 
it is hard it's really hard I think to share like you said when you've mentioned that you then become a bit of a public spokesperson and then you become defined sometimes for a bit I think it's really important to say thank you to all the people that have taken part in the podcast and you for doing that because you are opening yourself up to help others and that is really awesome so I'm going to give you a round of applause <laughs> thank you so much um, and I, you know and I have to say congratulations to you because to make people feel at ease and give them a place where you can talk about it confidently I think that's the great thing about a podcast yeah. and what I love about podcasts is that there's no nothing can be taken out of context yeah. you really feel that you know a person there are probably people listening to this now in their cars or on their way to work or they're feeling a bit rubbish it's just is really intimate and lovely but thank you Melanie C Melanie Chisholm probably by your full name total babe and thank you everyone for listening and hopefully we'll see you for a second series I think we're just going to go ahead and do it have you got any mates you could ask on I've, oh, I've got loads of mates. Could, could you, could you uh, <laughs> come and give a good bit of chat? We are like a bit of a chat. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm going to come and give you another Thank hug. You. <laughs> if you've been affected by anything we've talked about in our podcast today, a comprehensive list of mental health services is available on our website, which is www.telegraph.co.uk forward slash madworld. If you want help right now, the following organisations offer free and confidential support over the phone. The Samaritans can be reached 24 hours a day, seven days a week on 116-123. Or you can contact the mental health charity Mind for advice on a range of mental health issues. Their phone number is 0300-123-3393. That's 0300-123-3393. And they're accessible 9am to 5pm Monday to Friday, excluding bank holidays. Finally, there's Young Minds, who provide support if you're a parent or a carer worried about a child's welfare. They're on 0808 802 5544. That's 0808 802 5544. And remember this, you are not alone. Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799.